Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. This message is from a collection of Spurgeon messages created by Perry Boardman, known as Spurgeon's Gems. They're available at SpurgeonGems.com. Today's message is from Volume 1. It's number 43. It's entitled, The Death of... The death of the Christian, excuse me, the death of the Christian. We did the first part last time. Let's move on to the rest of the message today. A Christian has nothing to lose by death. You say he has to lose his friends. Well, I'm not so sure of that. Many of you have many more friends in heaven than on earth. (laughs) Some Christians have more dearly beloved ones above than below. You often count your family circle, but do you do as that little girl of whom Wordsworth speaks when she said, Master, we are seven. (laughs) Some of them were dead and gone to heaven, but, but she would have it that they were all brothers and sisters still. Oh, how many brothers and sisters we have upstairs in the upper room in our father's house. How many dear ones linked with us in the ties of relationship, for they are as much our relations now as they were then. Though in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, yet in that great world, who has said that the ties of affection shall be severed so that we shall not even there claim kindred with one another as well as kindred with Jesus Christ? What have we to lose by death? Come when he may, should we not open the door for him? I would love to feel like that woman who said when she was dying, I feel like a a door on the latch ready to be opened to let my Lord in. Is not that a sweet taste, to have the house ready so that it will require no setting in order? When death comes to a wicked man, he finds him moored fast. He snaps his cable, drives his ship to sea. But when he comes to the Christian, he finds him winding up the anchor. And he says, when you have done your work and shipped the anchor, I will take you home. With sweet breath, he blows on him and the ship is wafted gently to heaven with no regrets for life, but with angels at the prow, spirits guiding the rudder, Sweet songs coming through the cordage and canvas silvered or with light. Well, thirdly, the Christian's death is always timely. It says, Thou shalt come to thy grave, this is the text from yesterday, in a full age. Ah, says one, that's not true. Good people do not live longer than others. The most pious man may die in the prime of his youth, but But look at my text. It does not say you shall come to thy grave in old age, but in a full age. Well, who knows what a full age is. A full age is whenever God likes to take his children home. There are some fruits you know that are late in coming to perfection. We don't think their flavor is good till Christmas or till they have gone through the frost, while some are fit for table right now. All fruits do not get ripe and mellow at the same season, and so with Christians. They are at a full age when God chooses to take them home. They are at full age if they die at 21. They are not more if they live to be 90. Some wines can be drunk very soon after the vintage. 
Others need to be kept. But what does this matter if when the liquor is broached, it is found to have its full flavor? God never broaches his cask till the wine has perfected itself. There are, there are two mercies to a Christian. The first is that he will never die too soon. And the second, that he will never die too late. First, he will never die too soon. Spencer, who blazed out so brilliantly some years ago, preached so wonderfully that many expected that a great light would shine steadily and that many would be guided to heaven. But when suddenly the light was quenched in darkness and he drowned, while yet in his youth, men wept and said, Ah, Spencer died too soon. So it has been sung of Kirk White, the poet, who worked so laboriously at his studies, like the eagle who finds that the arrow that smote him was winged by a feather from his own body, so was his own study the means of his death. And the poet said he died too soon. Well, it was untrue. He did not die too soon. No Christian ever does. But say somehow useful might they have been had they have lived. Ah, but how damaging they might have been. Were it not better to die than to do something afterwards that would disgrace themselves and bring disgrace to the Christian character? Were it not better for them to sleep while their work was going on than to break it down afterwards? We've seen some sad instances of Christian men who have been very useful in God's cause but have afterwards had sad falls and have dishonored Christ though they were saved and brought back at last, we could almost wish that they had died rather than lived. You don't know what might have been the career of those men who were taken away so soon. Are you quite sure they would have done so much good? Might they not have done much evil? Could we have a dream of the future and see what they might have been? We might say, Ah, Lord, let it stop while it is well. Let him sleep while the music plays. There may be hideous sounds afterwards. We long not to keep awake to hear the dreary notes. The Christian dies well. He does not die too soon. Again, the Christian never dies too late. That old lady there is 80 years old. She sits in a miserable room, shivering before a handful of fire. She's kept by charity. She's poor and miserable. What's the good of her, says everybody. She's lived too long. A few years ago, she might have been of some use, but now look at her. She can scarcely eat unless the food is put into her mouth. She can't move. What good could she be? How dare you find fault with your master's work? He's too good a husbandman to leave his wheat in the field too long and let it shale out. Go and see her. You'll be reproved. Let her speak. She can tell you things you never knew in all your life. Or if she does not speak at all, her silent, unmurmuring serenity, her constant submission teaches you how to bear suffering so that there is something you can learn from her yet. Say not the old leaf hangs too long on the tree. An insect may yet twist itself therein and fashion it into its habitation. <laughs> oh, say not the old sere leaf ought to have been blown off long ago. The time is coming when it shall fall gently on the soil. But it remains 
to preach to unthinking men the frailty of their lives. Hear what God says to each of us. Thou shalt come to thy grave in full age. Cholera, you may fly across the land and taint the air. I shall die in a full age. I may preach today and as many days as I please in the week, but I shall die at a full age. However ardently I may labor, I shall die at a full age. Affliction may come to drain my very life's blood and dry up the very sap and marrow of my being. Ah, but affliction, you shall not come too soon. I shall die at a full age. And you, waiting men, and you, tarrying women, you are saying, O Lord, how long, how long, let me come home. You shall not be kept from your beloved Jesus one hour more than is necessary. You shall have heaven as soon as you are ready for it. Heaven is ready enough for you, and your Lord will say, Come up higher when you have arrived at a full age, but never before nor after. Now, the last thing is that a Christian will die with honor. It says in the text that we read, Thou shalt come to thy grave like a shock of corn cometh in its season. You hear men speak against funeral honors, and I certainly do enter my protest against the awful extravagance with which many funerals are conducted and the absurdly stupid fashions that are often introduced. It would be a happy thing if some persons could break through them and if widows were not obliged to spend the money which they need so much themselves upon a needless ceremony, which makes death not honorable, but rather despicable. But I think that while death should not be flaunted out with gaudy plumes, there is such a thing as an honorable funeral which every one of us may desire to have. We do not wish to be just carried away as a bundle of tear, Weeds. We would prefer that devout men should carry us to the grave and make much a lamentation over us. Some of us have seen funerals that were very like a, a harvest home. I can remember the funeral of a sainted minister under whom I once sat. The pulpit was hung in black and crowds of people came together. And when an aged veteran in the army of Christ rose up to deliver the funeral oration over his remains... There stood a weeping people lamenting that a prince had fallen that day in Israel. And then verily I felt what Mr. J. must have experienced when he preached the funeral sermon for Roland Hill. Howl, fir tree, the cedar is fallen. There was such a melancholy grandeur there. And yet my soul seemed lit up with joy to think it possible that some of us might share in the same affection and that the same tears might be wept over us when we come to die. Ah, my brethren here, my brethren in office, my brethren in this church, it may somewhat cheer your hearts to know that when you depart, your death will be to us a source of the deepest grief and most piercing sorrow. Your burial shall not be that prophesied for Jehoiakim, the burial of an ass with none to weep over him. But devout men will assemble and say, Here lies the deacon who for years served his master so faithfully. Here lies the Sunday school teacher, will the child say, who early taught me the Savior's name. And if the minister should fall, methinks a crowd of people following him to the tomb would well give him such a funeral as a shock of corn has when it cometh in its season. I believe... 
We ought to pay great respect to the departed saints' bodies. The memory of the just is blessed. And even you little saints in the church, don't think you will be forgotten when you die. You may have no gravestone, but the angels will know where you are as well without a gravestone as with it. There will be some who will weep over you. You will not be hurried away, but will be carried with tears to your grave. But I think there are two funerals for every Christian. Oh, one, the funeral of the body, and the other, the soul. That funeral, did I say, of the soul? No, I didn't mean it. I, I, I meant not so. It's a marriage of the soul. For as soon as it leaves the body, the angel reapers stand ready to carry it away. They may not bring a, a fiery chariot, chariot as they had for Elijah, but they have their broad spreading wings. I rejoice to believe that angels will come as convoys to the soul across the ethereal plains. Lo, angels at the head supporting the ascending saint, and lovingly they look upon his face as they bear him upwards. And angels at the feet, assisting and wafting him up yonder through the skies. And as the husbandmen come out from their houses and say, A joyous harvest home, so will the angels come forth from the gates of heaven and say, Harvest home, harvest home, here is another shock of corn, fully ripe, gathered into the garner. Well, I think the most honorable and glorious thing we shall ever behold next to Christ's entrance into heaven and his glory there is the entrance of one of God's people into heaven. I can suppose it is made a holiday whenever a saint enters, and that is continually, so that they keep perpetual holiday. Oh, methinks there is a shout that comes from heaven whenever a Christian enters it, louder than the noise of many waters. The thundering acclamations of a universe are drowned as if they were but a whisper in that great shout which all the ransomed raise when they cry, Another, and yet another comes. And the song is still swelled by increasing voices as they chant, Blessed husbandman, blessed husbandman, your wheat is coming home. Shocks of corn, fully ripe, are gathering into your garner. Well, wait a little, beloved. In a few more years, you and I shall be carried through the ether on the wings of angels. Methinks I die and the angels approach. I am on the wings of cherubs. Oh, how they bear me up, how swiftly and, and yet how softly. I have left mortality with all its pains. Oh, how rapid is my flight. Just now I, I pass the morning star. Far behind me now the planets shine. Oh, how swiftly do I fly and how sweetly. Cherubs, what sweet flight is yours and what kind arms are these I lean upon? And on my way you kiss me with the kisses of love and affection. You call me brother. Cherubs, am I your brother? <laughs> I, who just now was captive in a tenement of clay, am I your brother? Yes, they say. Oh, hark, I hear music, strangely harmonious. What sweet sounds come to my ears. I am nearing paradise. Tis even so. Do not spirits approach with songs of joy? Yes, they say. And here they can answer, Behold, they come, a glorious convoy. 
I catch a sight of them as they are holding a great review at the gates of paradise. And ah, there is the golden gate. I enter in and I see my blessed Lord. I can tell you no more. All else were things unlawful for flesh to utter. My Lord, I am with you, plunged into you, lost in you, just as a a drop is swallowed in the ocean, as one single tint is lost in the glorious rainbow. Am I lost in you, glorious Jesus? And is my bliss consummated? Is the wedding day come at last? Have I really put on the marriage garments? Am I yours? Yes, I am. There is naught else now for me. In vain your harps, you angels. In vain all else. Leave me for a little while. I will know your heaven by and by. Give me some years. Yea, give me some ages to lean here on this sweet bosom of my Lord. Give me half an eternity and let me bask myself in the sunshine of that one smile. Yes, yes, give me this. Did you speak, Jesus? Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And now you are mine. You are with me. Is not this heaven? I want nothing else. I tell you once again, you blessed spirits, I will see you by and by. But with my Lord, I will now take my feast of loves. Oh, Jesus, 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 you are heaven. I want naught else. I am lost in thee. Beloved, is not this to go to the grave in full age, like as a shock of corn, fully ripe? Ah, the sooner the day shall come, the more we shall rejoice. O tardy wheels of time, speed on your flight. O angels, wherefore come you on with haggard wings? O fly through the ether and outstrip the lightning's flash. Why may I not die? Why do I tarry here? Impatient heart, be quiet a little while. You're not fit for heaven yet, else you would not be here. You have not done your work, else you would have your rest. Toil on a little longer. There's rest enough in the grave. You shall have it there. On, on. As the poet says, With my scrip on my back and my staff in my hand, I'll march on in haste through an enemy's land. Though the way may be rough, it cannot be long. So I'll smooth it with hope and I'll cheer it with song. My dear friends, you who are not converted... I have no time to say anything to you this morning. I wish I had, but I pray that all I have said may be yours. Poor hearts, I am sorry. I I cannot tell you this is yours right now. I, I wish I could preach to every one of you and say that you all shall be in heaven, but God knows there are some of you that are on the road to hell and do not suppose you will enter heaven if you go hell's road. Nobody would expect, if he proceeded to the north, to arrive at the south. Nay, God must change your heart. By simple trust in Jesus, if you give yourself up to his mercy, even though the vilest of the vile, you shall sing before his face. And methinks, poor sinner, you will say to me, as a poor woman did last Wednesday after I'd been preaching, when I believe everybody had been crying, from the least to the greatest, and even the preacher in the pulpit. As I went down, I, I said to one, Are you chaff or wheat? And she said, Ah, I trembled tonight, sir. I said to another, Well, sister, I hope we shall be in paradise soon. And she replied, You may, sir, 
And I came to another and I said, Well, do you think you'll be gathered with the wheat? And she answered, One thing I can say, If God ever lets me get into heaven, I will praise him with all my might. I will sing myself away and shall never think I can sing loud enough. It reminded me of what an old disciple once said, If the Lord Jesus does not save me, he shall never hear the last of it. <laughs> Let us praise God when eternally, while life or thought or being lasts, or immortality endures. And now may the three, one God dismiss you with his blessing. Amen. Amen. Don't you wish you could have been there, folks? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my, my, to have been in that congregation. And yet I've, I've done the best to bring it to you today. Those were his very words in that very place, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Again, you can go to SpurgeonGems.org and uh, find that message, and I hope that you will. Well, uh, there's other things around the site. You know, he was talking about his own childhood and his, his own pending death, perhaps. He, he didn't know at this time how, how far along he might be. But I tell all of those stories. Here on the website, you will find the, the Spurgeon autobiography. We read through the whole thing, and it takes a long time, but you can... You can check that one out yourself. I know you'll be blessed by hearing his story. Or, of course, you can order those things online as far as books and so on. But, yeah, we, we've told the story here. Well, uh, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on the 1st of February, 2023. Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.